Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host. And today we are talking about how to write impactful goals for children birth to three years of age. And this particular age group, sometimes goals can get very general because for these little people, how do you separate speech and language and oral motor and play and this little group of people? You can't isolate each area. So sometimes we tend to write sort of general goals, but general goals are not sometimes specific or achievable. And as a result, they're not impactful. So today I really want to talk about how to write impactful goals. Now we're going to really focus hard on the goal part of this today, but in terms of the rest of the plan of care, we've done two podcasts. It's called Escape the Six Steps in a Therapy Plan of Care. There's a part one and a part two. Check that thing out because that'll really walk you through plan of care. So listen to that. But now we're on to the goal part of this. So let's get started. With this podcast, we're starting off with the goal writing part, which comes after you've done the eval. So just a short recap regarding the eval. We've done podcasts on this. Kirsten and I did one specifically called The Escape. It's a two-part series. So if you haven't checked that podcast out, it's on the workingtherapist.com website, also iTunes and Stitcher. But we've also done lots of other podcasts on evaluations. So I'm just going to give you the cliff note version. First is you've gone out, you've done the eval. You've gotten a birth history. You found out basically a little bit about the child, what their birth history was like, were there any major medical concerns? or issues. Also, you found out about hearing status. Have they had a lot of ear infections? Have they not? You've also found out what the parents want to work on. What are their areas of concern? What are they worried about? Why are they here with you today? Why did you go out and do the eval? You got those questions answered. You also found out because at this point, the child that you're evaluating isn't able to communicate what their areas of need are. So you're looking to the parents or the caregiver or somebody guardian to do that. Then you've also given some type of assessment, clinical and standardized. The PLS, you know, it's usually not my first choice of test to give to a child birth to three, but you can use the PLS, sure. And the Real and Rosetti are pretty standard and very popular. So you've done some type of standardized test just to give yourself a test score. That helps with insurance to get some authorization or to medical justification. But you've also, the bulk of what you've done in your eval is your clinical assessment, which is really the heart and soul of it. So you found out in your assessment what this child can do and can't do. You found out specific areas. You've looked at language, expressive and receptive. What do they understand? What do they not understand? And then expressive language, are they able to express themselves in any way? Also, you've looked at speech. What kind of sounds are they producing and not? And then you've done a little oral motor. Is their face symmetrical? Just if you look at their face, is it symmetrical? Are they moving their face? Are they able to open their mouth, close their mouth? What's the anatomy look like? What do the movement patterns look like? Is there any asymmetry or weakness or what's happening there with that? So for voice and fluency, there's not much you can do with them at this particular point. So really, you're not assessing voice and fluency too much. Voice, yes, to see if there's any coarseness or harsh or vocal quality or what is the vocal quality like. And you're hearing that if they are making some sounds or if they're not, absence of any sounds at all. And then also, again, you're going back to hearing and just checking the hearing status. Have they had a lot of ear infections? Birth to three, that's sort of a prime age for a lot of ear infections. If they're real little or just maybe if they're very small, their face hasn't started to grow 
or maybe has or hasn't grown too much. So their eustachian tubes could still be somewhat parallel, maybe moving down a little bit as their face starts to grow. But at this age, birth to three, there's a lot of potential ear infections. Their adenoids could really be enlarged. So you really definitely want to ask about how many ear infections have they had in a year? You want to really pay attention to is their nose really runny and stopped up? Are they breathing out of their mouth or are they breathing out of their nose? And if their nose is runny, is that typical? When you look at their noses running, is it clear or is it yellow or is it green? Because that tells you, is this like infection happening? Or if it's just clear drainage and the child is breathing out of their mouth and they don't really pay attention to their nose being runny, then that tells you, you know what, this is pretty normal. That's their normal, you know, which isn't quote unquote what is normal. So as soon as I see that, I'll ask, okay, do they snore a lot to the parents? And if they're snoring a ton, that is probably not an okay situation, means you have potentially humongous adenoids or tonsils, that child needs to go to their pediatrician and the ENT. Do they breathe out of their mouth all the time? So as a parent, you might not start to think that this is abnormal, that it's kind of normal that your child's breathe out of the mouth all the time. So you just want to ask, because if you got your mouth open to breathe all the time, how are you going to talk? That's going to be somewhat of a problem if you can't breathe out of your nose. And also, if they've got all this fluid in their ear, then they may be experiencing a conductive hearing loss. And it kind of sounds like you're talking underwater, you know, kind of like remember Charlie Brown and the teacher like, wah, 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 wah. Well, they might be hearing a lot of that kind of speech. You know, they're not really hearing things that clearly because they've got that fluid in their ear may not be infected fluid just fluid and so they need to get to again their doctor and the ENT so you need to check all that are they snoring are they breathing out of their mouth all the time are they producing sounds and not you know that kind of thing or is there less facial movement just because if you are using your mouth to breathe you're not going to move your face around for facial expression because you got to keep your mouth open to breathe so you need to ask that look at that and potentially think adenoids and tonsils. It doesn't mean you don't need to see the child. It doesn't mean you have to wait to see the child until after they go to the ENT. You can go ahead and start seeing the child, but they need some medical management involved. They need an assessment for potential tubes, PE tubes, placement, and maybe potentially adenoids. There we go. So we've done the eval. We've looked at those areas and we've made some determination and now we are ready to write up the goals. So where do we start? First things first, we need to look at the area where we can make the biggest difference in this child. So the biggest thing is, what do they do to get something? So I always ask this question in about, always. I usually will do my medical stuff, my birth history, find out what the parent's concerns are, play with the child, do my clinical assessment, standardized assessment. And so then I can kind of see before I ask the parents, what does this child do to get something? So I'll do a lot of like the Amy Weatherby type of stuff. You know, it's all in the PLS where you wind up the B and the B hops around and then you wait. So I do a lot of like setting up a game, like one, two, three, blow the bubble, one, two, three, blow a bubble, one, two, three. So I know this child's really engaged. And when I know I got them, then I'll one, two, three, wait, and I'll freeze like in mid blow, freeze, and then see what the child will do to make me blow the next bubble or wind up toys. I'm all about a wind up toy. So I take wind up toys everywhere I go, really, honestly. And so I'll wind the toy up, make it go, wind it up again, make it go. And then before I do it again, I'll hand the wind up toy to the child and I'll wait. So I do a lot of pregnant pauses, a lot of setting up a situation and then stop and freeze and get them to see what they'll do next to make me do something. So I'll do that during all of my clinical assessment. But then I'll also ask the parents, so what do they do at home to get something? If they want something, they can't get it, what will they do? Usually every single parent, guardian that knows anything at all about that child, even like the next door neighbor who's just brought them in for a favor, usually can always answer this question. And it's like, oh my gosh, they'll fall out, meaning they'll have a temper tantrum or they'll go get it themselves or they'll climb up on something and go get it or they'll come get me get my hand and go get it whatever they do that is their communication system or they'll say a word or they'll go ah, 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 
ah, you know, they'll reach and oh, ah, 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 kind of thing. And so that's their communication system. That's what they do to get something. You got to do something to get something. That's what they do. So if that is not a word or a gesture or something that's sort of socially appropriate, communicative way of asking for something, that's your first goal. You have to start there. You have to figure out what can you do to get something. So that's expressive language. And we need to start there. What do you do to get something? So rarely do I go into a home where a child is talking up a storm birth to three and their receptive is less than their expressive. Very rarely is their expressive really high and their receptive really low in this particular age group. Normally in this group, the expressive and receptive are pretty much the same or they're close to the same level or their receptive is high and their expressive is low but very rarely is it the reverse so I have to start with what are they going to do to get something okay and even if their receptive and expressive are about the same level or if their receptive is really high and their expressive is really low same thing I want to work on you got to do something to get something we got to work on that format and then I have to figure out and this came from the vowel what do they do do they reach and vocalize so if they reach that suggestion they already vocalize but they don't verbalize mean no words but just a sound then they're at the gesture level with the sound. So usually my goals will start with if they're at the gesture level and they're reaching and they're vocalizing, then that's kind of where they are. So I'll meet them there and I'll start there. So my goal will be using a gesture for more me to communicate intent. So that'll be part A of the goal. Part B of the goal will be with a model. They'll imitate words for communicative intent. And then part C of that goal is they'll use single words for communicative intent. So what do they do to get something? So I want to start at the gesture level. I want to meet them where they are and start there. And so I want to sort of shift that gesture that uh, 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 where they're reaching and grabbing or they're going to get the parent's hand or whatever. Or even if they are having a complete and total fit, I still start at the same place. If they're like some kids, I swear to goodness, you're in the room. They can go from zero. They are totally fine. They're happy as a lark. And then they don't get the ball or whatever it is they wanted. And they are laying on the floor screaming, crying. And there is not one tear. They can cut it off and cut it on like a light switch. Now that is their communication system. Is that socially appropriate? No. Do we need to get rid of that and move on to something else? Yes. But you know, think about these kids. They know what they want and daggum, if they're not smart enough to figure out and make everybody in the room jump and hop and do something immediately to get them something, there's a lot to be said for that. That's pretty smart. I mean, these children know what they want and they're going to get it. They're going to get it. And they're making everybody make sure they get it or get something from that type of behavior. I mean, those are your next CEOs, people. But but this is just not socially appropriate right now and it's not positive. And so we need to switch it into something that is positive and socially appropriate and use a word because these kids already know what they want and they really want to get that and they want it now. Not all of that's bad. So let's just sort of channel it into something a little bit more positive. But let's start there because also the parents have had it because they're having this child scream and tantrum all the time. So we need to shift that into something different, right? Because we don't want to listen to that scream and tantruming all the time because I'm getting older by the day and boy, I can't handle it. But I'm not going to say no, I'm just going to shift them into something positive. So we want to start there. So usually I start with gestures and I work on me where I have them pat their chest, me to request something. And my whole entire session or most of my session is setting up and doing something to get something. So I'm going to bring in wind up toys, that ball run. You know, you put the balls at the top of that thing and you hit it down and then I grab the balls up real quick and I only let them get another ball if they do me. But I use their hand and pat their chest so that I'm not having to like sit there and wait and they're not getting frustrated so that I can teach them do something to get something, do something to get something. But I want them to be successful. And every time toy that I do in that session pretty much is all related to that. And I'm going to also wrap all my other goals up in there too. So start with expressive, do something to get something, start the gesture level if that's where they are, then work to imitation of single words and then single words. Now, if I think I need another little step in there, then I may throw instead of the imitation of single words, I may throw use of picture symbols as part B and then C is imitation of single words, but it depends on the child and what I need to do. So I feel like, you know, if they've got some very established behaviors of not 
trying to vocalize at all, then I may work at a picture level as well as a gesture level to start with and then work up word imitation, you know, or my part C may be imitating sounds, which the sounds would be equal to their word and then we'll mold that into something more. So I may start with there. So that's expressive. That's where I start. Part B is I want to think speech. Now, I know most people think, okay, receptive. Let's start receptive somewhere. But mm, now I want to start speech. So if you're not saying something to get something, or if you don't have a lot of sounds, then I want to start with a big oral motor program. Not like tons of oral motor exercises, but I want my hands to be on your face. And it's going to be very, you know, touchy-feely kind of speech session because it's very interactive and very, we're in this together and you and me and on the floor and physical. Because I want to constantly, as you're asking for something, or I want to figure out what sounds are pretty easy for you to do. And I want to help facilitate that. So you can use prompt. The prompt program is really good. You can specific prompt cues that you can give. You go to the class for prompt to learn those prompt cues and you do that. But you can also just use a lot of like, take their hand and put it on your mouth. Like, tell me, say, ah, ah is the easiest. You just have to open your mouth and then turn your voice on. That's really it. So first I'll take their hand, put it on my mouth. When they're wanting to request something, say me. And I'll put their hand on my mouth and then I'll put my hand on their mouth to be like, okay, hey, look, this is the time for you to say something. Meaning just like it cues them in and tactile cues. So I'll just use a lot of informal oral motor, like just touching their mouth and maybe help them make a ooh to blow bubbles or ooh or ah, or I'll touch their chin to help sort of open their mouth for that ah, or I'll touch their lips for P, B, M, just anything to get a sound. You just want to get a sound to do something. And usually my home program or my activities I tell the parent is, I'm like, look, we want to work in regular opportunities during the day because I'm going to model for them. Do this to get that. Do this to get this. And every single thing in the session is going to be involved around that. So I want to give them a home program where they have to do something to get something. So I'll tell the parent, I'm like, look, every one of these kids is usually on like a five-point harness car seat. So I'll say, okay, right before you go to hit that last button, right between their legs before you take them out of the car seat, pretend like you have lost your mind and you've forgotten everything you ever knew right before you hit that button say you want out tell me out and you want to do that clap hands and hold your hands open out and then have the child do something even if they do like a gesture to kind of move forward or they can do a more or a me or a ah for out that counts and hit that button and they get out now don't do it to the point where the kids like kick and scream and they won't get out of the car seat and the parents stand in the driveway and they're furious because the child won't do anything and they won't do anything and they're just mad no no no. you just want to give them a couple like a three second pause do the exact same thing when they get ready to get out of the crib if the child is still in the crib it's instinctual you have to do that hand clap and hold your hand out like doesn't that just sort of come with having kids like that gesture you find yourself just doing that every time you go to pick the kid up or getting right out of the bathtub you know you want to just do a pause or right before you give them their juice you want to say oh you want juice and just hold the cup right there so they can get it they can see it but they can't get it so you want juice tell me say juice ooh right before you give them the juice and the child doesn't have to imitate anything quite yet in the first little bit but you just want the parents to start to do that pregnant pause all day long and regular activities just put a little bit of a pause to give the child like oh if you say this, you're going to get this to sort of make that the expectation. You know, you got to say this to get this because we do. I don't get anything unless I say I want that. You know, like, could you pass the ketchup? The only way I'm going to get that ketchup is if I ask for it. So that's the normal, you know, people don't anticipate all my needs and just give me what I need before I ask for it. Boy, do I wish they did but that's not how this works. (laughs) So they have to learn how to ask for stuff. So that's the second part I work on. So I work on speech. Speech is the second goal. So I want to do a lot of like hands-on. So I usually I write a goal for speech that they'll imitate age-appropriate speech sounds with oral motor cues for tongue lateralization, elevation, open mouth, closed mouth, closing lips together, PB. I want to help them move their mouth in a way with me facilitating with oral motor cues to help foster and bring 
bring out and shape those sounds. So that's really what I'm doing, helping them shape their regular vocalizations because they're probably making already some vocalizations, help them to shape them into sounds. Most kids can all make a uh or ah of some sound. And so then if they can do that, I can work with shaping it into something different. I can start to move their mouth and to create a different sound, you know, even if they're just doing ah like a lot, then I can just take my hand and pat their lips and then make that ah sound. So that's what I'll do. I'll start to work to shape their sound. So I'll always have a goal of that. I like that goal significantly better because it's significantly more clear and it's more achievable and more specific than child will imitate environmental sounds. Like what exactly does that mean? Why are they there to see you? Because if they were already imitating environmental sounds, then they would have already done that. So that doesn't mean I have to do anything like child will imitate environmental sounds. Well, that doesn't mean you need a speech therapist. So I get rid of that goal. Forget that goal. They would have already been imitating environmental sounds. They need speech therapy. They need somebody to help shape those sounds and help them create and develop those sounds and make them understand you can do these sounds. And when you do these sounds, they're powerful because it means you get stuff. That's power. So let's empower these kiddos and help them to show them that they can do this. Number one, expressive communication. Number two, speech. So you've hit speech, language. Language first, speech second. The second one is speechy, but it's also expressive. Anyway, but you know, how are you going to tease all this stuff out with a three-year-old? The third goal I usually want to go to is a play goal. So instead of hitting like a receptive goal, like child will identify pronouns. Like, okay, so if you can't express your want and needs, do you really need to understand pronouns? No. Do you really need to identify a lot of objects? Yes, you do, but let's do it in a functional kind of way. So getting out flashcards with a zero to three little kiddo? No. First off, number one, that's not fun. What birth to three kid wants to do flashcards? Like I'm 48 and I don't want to do flashcards. That's not fun. So if you're getting out flashcards, put them away. But we still have to work on receptive communication. So if their receptive communication is really high, you don't need to write a goal for that. But if their receptive communication, their expressive communication are both lower, then you need to write a receptive communication goal. But let's write it in a functional, fun way where you can work on receptive things. So you got to first identify receptively, where can I make the biggest impact? Are they pinging all over the walls? Meaning like, are they like a little butterfly? They flit over lots of different things and they never finish any toys. So they can't play with any toy long enough to figure out what the heck it does before they move on. Are they just sort of dumping things out? Are they just briefly paying attention to it and moving on to something else? And what is it they're doing? So we need to work on that if that's what they're doing, you know, or if they aren't able to follow any directions or if they're really not even paying attention long enough to anybody to be able to really identify various objects and people and pay attention and figure out how toys work and what they can do. And some of that, again, goes back to what we talked about before. Look, if they're not hearing clearly then that may be one reason why they're really not identifying a lot of things. Because remember, Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. You got to be able to hear clearly to be able to do that. Again, medical management. But we still need to start working on it. So you want to figure out with these little people, receptive language. So let's start with play. Because play is the occupation of a child. And it's fun. And you're going to be able to get them to do a lot more if they think you're fun than if you bring a bunch of flashcards in there. So let's start with fun, which is receptive language and play. So let's start with play. Usually I write my receptive language goals in the context of play. And I figure out what's the main area of need. If they're not paying attention to much of anything and they're not understanding start, do, finish, meaning you start a toy, you do it and you finish it, clean it up, put it back up. Even if it's only for 30 seconds, then that's what we need to do. And also I need to figure out, are you at a combinational play? Are you sensory motor? Are you combinational? Are you functional? Are you imaginative or pretend? I can't imagine that they're a pretend play if they're not 
communicating unless you got some apraxia thing going on, but that's a different podcast. So check that one out. So probably my best guess is these children really aren't paying attention long enough. They really haven't gotten the whole play start, do, finish thing. So they're probably at a combinational play, meaning just putting two concepts together. So let's start there. Understanding so that you'll start a game, do a game, finish a game. So then in the context of that, you can write child will participate in combinational play routines times three to five per session for, depending on how old they are, three minutes each, you know, with their age, you fix it how you need to for their age. But in the context of that, you're working on following directions, you're working on again, to identify objects, you're getting to identify pictures if it's appropriate, understanding for verbs, I'll also throw that in. So child will participate and understand for verbs and objects and single step directions with a cue or not, depending on what you need in the context of combinational play for five play routines for two minutes each for 30 minutes or something like that. You know, don't hold me to my times because I'm just spouting that off. But and that goal, I've worked on identifying nouns, identifying verbs, and following directions, which is really kind of big for a zero to three, right? Isn't that the main kind of thing you got to work on, zero to three? Yes. Will you get some pronouns in there? Yeah. They're just going to get that anyway because they're going to pay attention to give it to me, give it to me, honey, you know, or give it to daddy, give it to mommy. They're going to work on all that identifying people and pronouns. So just worry about verbs, worry about following single step directions, start, do, finish. That's most important. And combinational play routines. And then I usually wrap it up because I like a four goals, one, two, three, four. I usually wrap it up with whatever big area of need is left. So if I want to work on child will imitate single words or child will increase vocabulary to use, I usually work on nouns and verbs. So I work on that kind of more speechy type of typical goal where they'll increase their spoken vocabulary for words or verbs or that kind of thing, depending on where they are, gesture-wise, picture-wise, word-wise. It just depends on kind of where they are is the last goal I'll do. But I'll usually break that up and have that as the last goal. I definitely will work on verbs with this age group. I think with this age group, if you don't remember anything else in this podcast, remember this, we work on nouns, 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 but you can't make a sentence without a verb. So I definitely, definitely, definitely work on verbs, which I think is more important than nouns for this age group. You do want them to be able to identify things, but you can't make a sentence without a verb. And that's what really the goal is long, long, long term is make a sentence. So I work on action stuff in conjunction with the other stuff. So we're always working on doing something, you know? So those are the areas. So expressive goal, receptive goal, speech goal, play. You want to think of those kind of concepts. I would challenge people to say, this is the easiest group to write specific goals with. And a lot of times for this group, I see very general goals. But with this group, it can be very, very specific expressive, receptive, speech, and play. And in all that, don't forget verbs. Okay, so I hope this was helpful to you all in writing impactful goals for children birth to three. This is a fun age group, but a lot of times their goals can be just very general. So when you think about more specific and how you can make the most impact, then that's really how you write your goal plan. And that is how you really move these kids from nonverbal to verbal and to discharge, right? That's the name of the game. So writing impactful goals for children birth to three. And, you know, writing goals, by the time you get to the goal writing part, you've done your therapy plan. So if you want more information on writing a therapy plan of care, go back and check out this podcast. We talked about it at the beginning, but I want to make sure everybody's clear on it. The podcast we did is called Escape, the six steps in a therapy plan of care. There's a part one and a part two, and those two podcasts podcast will break out and break down the therapy plan of care to help you to make it easier and more clear when writing the therapy plan of care. So check those two podcasts out. They're both on theworkingtherapist.com, also on iTunes and Stitcher. We also talked about the podcast I did about a proxy of speech. Check that one out too. That's on there. So great resources. Check those out and I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, 
visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 